My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. the kind of things that are important engaging with people then you find out there's way more like-minded people than you thought and this is what we need we need people to be in the streets to demonstrate to ensure that they are talking to the powers that be but the powers that be know the struggle is getting larger and larger and larger that's the voice of steve september he's today's guest on talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Steve September was born into involvement in social movements. He is racialized and Jewish, and his parents moved to Canada from South Africa in the early 1960s. They were active as part of the African National Congress, or ANC, the broad front for the national liberation struggle against the racist apartheid regime that ruled South Africa for decades. And they fled the country to avoid being arrested during an anti-ANC crackdown by the government. In Canada, they very quickly got active building a base in this country for ongoing anti-apartheid work, and as he grew up, September was very involved as well. This week's episode focuses on more recent work by September, in the context of an organization called the Anti-Racism Coalition, or ARC Vancouver, a grassroots group working to end all forms of racial inequality through education, legislation, and social events. In the course of the interview, September doesn't always draw this connection himself, but the analysis that he presents on behalf of the organization and the ways of work that he describes seem to have a bit of a distinctive character one that's a little different than many activist groups in Canada today, and that seems heavily informed by his experience of the anti-apartheid struggle. In talking about racism, for instance, his account is more deliberately global than what you often hear, and it really foregrounds the interconnections between racism and histories of colonization and empire and the capitalist drive for profit. September is particularly scathing about the role of the British Empire in all of these. ARC as an organization is relatively formal, it has a vision statement, a mission, and a proper constitution. In contrast with the preference in many movement contexts for consensus, it operates using Robert's rules of order, voting, and majority rule. Often they will circulate discussion papers before each meeting, and proceed on the basis of motions, amendments, and so on. The organization has been most active in the area of education. A big part of the group's early work was spurred by teachers dealing with the lack of resources available for use during Black History Month. So ARC Vancouver, particularly the teachers who were involved, set about to create them. Members of the group, including September, regularly speak in schools as well as to youth in other settings. And a major project of the organization has been what they call Black Shirt Day, an event that they organized in recent years on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday on January 15th. Modeled on Orange Shirt Day in solidarity with residential school survivors and the anti-bullying initiatives marked with pink shirts, it calls on people to wear black shirts as part of a larger effort to talk about black history, black lives, and working against racism. As well, ARC Vancouver's members regularly stand with other people and groups who are taking their own actions against racism. 
This includes taking part in larger actions on days with broad anti-racist significance, such as Indigenous Peoples Day, Emancipation Day, and so on, and it includes showing up at more specific anti-racist and anti-colonial events organized by other groups, whether that's in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en land defenders, in support of high school students demanding that a colonial name be removed from a nearby street, in support of indigenous women on Red Dress Day, or any number of other things. In doing this work today, September draws a number of lessons from his involvement in the movement against South African apartheid. One is, perhaps unsurprisingly, the importance of vocally opposing apartheid, including the variant of apartheid enacted by the Israeli state against the Palestinian people. Another is the importance for movement building of engaging with people across differences in identity and politics. He said, quote, you find out there's way more like-minded people than you thought, end quote. And finally, there's the absolute centrality of what he describes as, quote, boots on the ground, meaning not just making statements or writing analyses, though those matter too, but actually getting out to demonstrations and actions, being bodily present, and doing things in person and with others to advance your vision for change. I speak with September about the work of ARC Vancouver. My name is Steve September. I was born in Cape Town, South Africa. Came to Canada in the early 60s as a result of everybody being rounded up in the ANC. My parents would have been some of them. So my father came to Canada, brought us along. I was a very young kid. The first people who contacted us were the progressive people, people in the peace movement, labor movement, a lot of different churches, especially Unitarian Church. And we built a base of anti-apartheid work. My parents didn't come to hide or didn't come to make a new life because they were actually political immigrants and not economic. So anyway, having worked in the anti-apartheid struggle basically since birth, but, you know, really joined on June the 16th, 1976, which was the Soweto riots where school children were mowed down, gunned down, killed in mass in the streets. It was a huge effort that day to squash the movement of youth. Anyway, involved in the anti-party movement for a very long time, which because of the way that structures were, we were inclusive of everybody. We never said you couldn't join, you couldn't join, etc., etc. But we knew that certain people would not join. We knew that the right-wing conservatives would not join, but they're open to join. The people who need the most information are the people that are closed-minded. They've already made up their decision. They're already racists. They're already anti-democratic in many ways, or they're already evangelists, et cetera, et cetera. But we never close the door on anybody. Although we were asked to close the door on some other people, and we said, no, if you believe in anti-apartheid struggle, that's all we need to know. And that's where the education starts, because people did not know about apartheid South Africa and what really happens. And that's why my parents became spokespeople by exactly what apartheid was, what it means to have legalized segregation. So anyway, fast forward to nowadays. My daughters came up and said that they wanted to get involved. Really what happened is that it all exploded, of course, when George Floyd was murdered. And they said they wanted to have an organization that brings people together. And that's why we call the organization Anti-Racism Coalition, because a coalition means that you work with a lot of people. And you don't have to agree with everything they say or everything that they do, but you need to work together. It's sort of like a galvanizing force. That's what's in our mission statement as well, you know, to be a galvanizing force for like-minded organizations and individuals. So that's how ARC started. Our work here is education, legislation, and social events. Education, we're really blowing up on in terms of getting out there and talking to people. 
Legislation falls really short because it's a long process. And social events, while we have been at the Juneteenth March, Emancipation Day, Cancel Canada Day, September the 30th, Indigenous Day, and everything that we can possibly put our name to that makes it a more unified presence, that's what we want to do. And we support other organizations that are anti-racist. They might do things slightly different, but everybody needs support and everybody has a role to play. And I think that's important for us to say, okay, we agree with this group. Let's support them. They're organizing it. Let's just put our banner up and put our weight behind it and go and march with them or go and have a table at their event. Go and speak about anti-racism. The major push for the anti-racism coalition came from teachers. And it all stemmed around Black History Month. We realized that there is virtually nothing available in resources to teachers. Teachers were left to their own devices to do this anti-racist work. Now, teachers are busy. They cannot do all of their resources and research, et cetera, et cetera. So the teachers in our organization said, let's get together. Let's start by iconography. Let's start by highlighting the Black Canadians who have made a contribution who you'll never hear about. So we highlighted politicians, lawyers, healthcare practitioners, philosophers, community activists, et cetera, et cetera. And we highlight them in and around their birthday or in and around events that they were responsible for. So we made sure that we got a lot of people. We did a lot of history and the teachers made a very simple poster for K to 6 and 7 to 12 so that they can identify with them. For example, Barbara Howard. Barbara Howard was one of the first Black Canadians to be in the Olympics. And then she became a teacher and she taught at Strathcona. Now, a certain group of kids at Strathcona realized this and then did some study and research on Strathcona and said, well, instead of ha having a racist name on our school, we want to name the school Barbara Howard School. So the youth are leading the way that way. To set some of the context for listeners, talk a bit about your analysis of racism and about how it manifests in Vancouver. It's called systemic racism. It's within the system. I mentioned to one of our ministers, I said, you know, it really doesn't matter who the minister is because people are voted in and out. Where it really matters is that the bureaucracy is racist. So, for example, if the NDP comes in and there's a big push to have things change and it takes more than four years, then another government comes in, say a liberal or conservative government, and they might want to do the right thing or want to make things progress. But the bureaucracy sits on and says, oh, no, that, that failed. That, di that didn't move forward. Oh, and yeah, we had too many problems with this and too many problems with that. So we're not really interested in move forward. It's going to be a waste of your time because the per previous person couldn't do it anyway. And that is what systemic racism looks like in real time. That is the halls of different ministries, the different bureaucracies, the different types of corporations. And that is what systemic racism is, where it is embedded in a system. So your ideas get either co-opted, they get garbaged, or they get manipulated to an extent where they're unrecognizable as being what you want them to be or what can be. Having lived briefly in Toronto in the early 80s and having lived in Winnipeg for 23 years, I now live in Vancouver for the last 30 years. The racism is really underlying. It's really subliminal. You don't see it like you see it in a small town, but you do see it. 
So, for example, I was invited to speak on behalf of the Anti-Racism Coalition to a group of new immigrants that are in the Surrey school system, many of them Black, many of them from Africa, some from Palestine, some from India, a couple from Afghanistan. And they were facing racism when they went out. Everything from, hey, speak English. So that's one. Next one is, this woman is Muslim, so she has her scarf, head coverings, etc., etc. And right away, you know, what are you doing here? Go back to where you came from. And the youth, they don't know how to deal with it. So my job is to go in there and talk to them about it. They will get more and more tools in order for them to express themselves better. And I think it puts the youth on a better footing to understand that they do have a power. So this is the kind of thing that we do. We go and speak to organizations like that, inner city. We also go and speak to schools. And the main thing is the schools, because Black History Month was recognized and instituted as a history month in Canada in 1995. And there's still no resources. Some teachers just want to talk about slavery. And that's another reason why we started doing this education, because we asked our membership, what do you kids learn? We learn about slavery. That's it. What else do you learn? No, we just learn about slavery. Well, slavery is not black history. Slavery is what happened to black history. Slavery is a part of black history. So when people start seeing the history, they start saying, okay, so what actually is slavery? So then we also talk about that, right? Then I have another complete discussion that I take to some schools, what we call the legacies of apartheid. And in order to find out what apartheid is, you have to go back into British colonialism. So we talk about British colonialism. We talk about how they actually colonize places. And I go through the four M's, missionaries, merchants, military, and massacre. And then from there, go to British imperialism, including in today. Then I talk about the legacies of apartheid South Africa. I was able to firsthand account for what was happening in apartheid and how the minority South Africans, the white South Africans, even had a structure where they blamed everything on the Dutch or the Boers, blamed them for all the ills. Meanwhile, Britain was doing exactly that. It's the same thing, divide and rule. The British are excellent at that, the masters at that, divide and rule. So we're going to explain to them how apartheid was set up and how it was set up, and also let them know that apartheid South Africa was set up at the same time as apartheid Israel was set up. The same rules, the same laws, and now Israel is practicing apartheid to a worse extent. It's worse than what happened in South Africa, but the same methods are being used, and a blind eye is taken. So I'll even say, here's how colonialism works. They mine the diamonds in South Africa. They ship them to Israel, to Tel Aviv, and from Tel Aviv, they go to Antwerp, Belgium. So the raw material goes from one, they get processed another, and they get finalized and sold out of the colonial. And Britain always has a hand in it. So to make that linkage is to see that racism was and still is used as a tool for economic gain. The reason why blacks were brought over because through disease, through brute force, the indigenous population of North America was decimated. 80 million, up to 120 million, which would have been a large, large population right now. And so you have to bring someone else over. So racism was invented against the black population of Africa and the population of South Asia to do that work. 
it is important for people to understand that if you want to really see where racism came from, it came from Western Europe, mainly Britain, refined it. It didn't exist before that. And talk a bit more about ARC Vancouver as an organization, its members, how it does things, and so on. ARC, because of my involvement in different organizations, first of all, we wrote a vision statement. We wrote a mission in order to accomplish a vision statement, and then we organized a constitution. We work a lot on Robert's Rules of Order, where everybody has a vote, everybody has a time to speak, and we do not work on consensus. Because throughout my growing up and watching organizations with consensus, especially some of the NGOs, consensus is the loudest person in the room or the person that can sway people the most with their eloquence, et cetera, et cetera. And some people disagree, but they don't get recorded in what their disagreements are. They said, oh, and the consensus is that we're going to do that. And it looks like it's democratic, but it's not. What is democratic really is one person, one vote on a specific topic. And we'll have motions. And the motions can be added to. So we work on a structure like that, and it really covers a lot of ground. We can do a lot of work very quickly because we also send out pre-discussion papers. Okay, so one of the pre-discussion papers is that we are going to support the Indigenous community on such and such a day. And we are going to ensure that we have a statement on it. Here, here's the discussion. Please come forward at the meeting with this information. Then they come in the meeting and all the suggestions come out, right? Okay, we're going to need a table. We're going to need this kind of information on the table. Should we have shirts? Are we going to participate in handing a speaker? Is one of our indigenous people that are in our organization, are they going to be able to speak? I don't speak on behalf of indigenous people. Uh, yeah, part of me is Indigenous, but that's from the Khoisan of South Africa. But I don't speak on behalf of Indigenous people. They have their own leaders. You know, you have to give space. You have to respect what people have to say. Even if you don't agree with the 10%, but you agree with the 99%, then they have the floor. That is for them. That is respect. That is giving space. That is real inclusivity. You need to give space to everybody. And everybody needs to be educated as well. Because everybody, they have very specific challenges, although racism is racism, doesn't matter who is getting it. That's why I like the name BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color. For me, that word means unity. So anyway, our organization works like that. We have an executive. The executive is a chair, the treasurer, the secretary, outreach, media, and we have three directors at large. Sorry, I didn't say education. Education there, too, our biggest one get together and discuss things. And then we have a broader meeting as well to bring more people in. And then we will find out from these different people, like what is the latest? What do we want to work on? We are trying to be heavily invested in the education system, the schools, and we produce materials that are for the schools, are for the kids, are for the teachers. When we find a project or someone highlights a project, we put our weight behind it. Okay, what are we going to do? Do we want to support the grade nine from X school that want to rename Dudney Trunk Road? Because they found out that Edgar Dudney was responsible for massacring 5,000 indigenous people on Cypress Plains and the prairies and was responsible for getting Louis Rial jailed. Well, the students is like, to hell with that. We don't want this guy's name plastered all over the place. He's a, he's a murderer. He's a racist. He's a colonialist. Now, they have such a great campaign, and we put our weight behind it, and it is moving. We don't take over that campaign. We support it. 
We amplify it. That's their work. And we can only be part of the democratic process and moving forward to that work. How does ARC Vancouver connect with communities? How do you bring people together to have these democratic deliberations and take action together? A variety of ways. For example, Juneteenth is coming up, right? Juneteenth is Friday the 17th this year. Uh, And this interview was recorded on June 13th. There's a call going out by a few organizations, and we put our name behind it. So we have individuals in our organization who are actually going to set up the grounds, who are going to queue the musicians who are going to play at the event. Last time I spoke at the event, we have organized the route for the event, etc. So we come in and we ask what else needs to be done, and then we do it, or we try to do it. And if we can't, we try and make sure that other people are involved. We put it out there because, you know, we want more people involved. You don't want one organization. You want entire list of organizations that shows that people are working together. And this is a work of coalitions to bring people together that are working on similar things. So not every other organization works with teachers. We do. And we don't expect everybody to do the same. If more come, fantastic. Excellent. However, every organization has a specific role. They determine their role. And if you agree with their anti-racism platform, you agree with 90% of them moving forward and doing something, then do so. Then just get involved. Because nothing is going to be perfect. People come from different areas. People come from different ideas. You know, some are super religious, some are not. Some are for unions, some are not. But everybody's for anti-racism and hopefully for peace. Then you agree on those things, that's what you need. You don't need to find the level of disagreement. You need to find the level of agreement, and that's where art comes in, that we agree to do X, Y, Z on this. We agree to go to the September 30th National Indigenous Day. We agree to do that, and we participate. Things of which I call boots on the ground. You cannot always be the armchair politician sitting there writing things and putting them out. We're not academics that way. We do write, but we're not academics that way. We do write, but we also put boots on the ground. We demonstrate. We write letters to ministries. We confront people on their attitudes. We are there. We are there with actual our banner walking in the street. We are there with handing them information. We're there engaging people one-on-one. We're inviting people. And this is how we continue to do. You, you know, you can be as great as possible on your Instagram and see everything and agree with everything. But if you don't come out to support it physically, you know, I quote Jill Heron Scott, the revolution will not be televised. It has to be in the street. The people that control the media said they do not want to see activity in action. They want to see people just locked up in their houses and saying yes to this and saying yes to that. So this is how we try and approach our work with lots of information, with lots of education, but also with boots on the ground, activity, physical activity. So as someone who was involved in the struggle against South African apartheid from birth, what lessons would you say that anti-racism activists in Canada in 2022 can learn from the history of that struggle? What needs to be known first is you need to educate yourself on the realities of it. You need to have an open discussion. You need to keep on doing that. But you need boots on the ground. You need a boycott movement. I was part of the boycott movement, boycotting South African wines, boycotting Rothman cigarettes, boycotting Shell oil. 
That's why Israel is really, really starting to be freaking out now. That's why they're being so brutal, because the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement has taken off exponentially. The exposure of things that are happening in Israel right now has taken off. But the thing is, people have to be out doing things. They have to be doing things within their workforce, within their families, within their communities, within the structures that exist right now and push the structures that they have to do things. Like when South Africa was becoming free, I was in Montreal. We were talking to Joe Clark, the then before Bramalou, Joe Clark. Uh, Joe Clark was leader of the Federal Conservative Party and was briefly Prime Minister of Canada in the late 1970s. And later, he was a senior cabinet minister in the governments of Brian Mulroney. And he didn't understand. You know, we made them understand. It was a big conference. And those are the kind of things that are important. Engaging with people, then you find out there's way more like-minded people than you thought. And there's way more that need to be engaged. And this is what we need. We need civic engagement. We need people to be in the streets, to demonstrate, to ensure that they are talking to the powers that be, but the powers that be know the struggle is getting larger and larger and larger. I asked September what ARC Vancouver had planned coming up. He talked about their work to expand anti-racist resources for teachers, and about their ongoing participation in a wide range of events and days of action. But he also talked about one of the initiatives that they themselves originated, Black Shirt Day on January 15th, as a way to draw attention to black history, black lives, and anti-racist struggles. In particular, he talked about the BC Ministry of Education's decision this year not to endorse the day. His understanding is that the historic association of black shirts with 20th century European fascism was, in a decision he describes as Eurocentric, treated by the ministry as having more significance than black and other racialized people deploying the color black in anti-racist ways today. We're getting ready for the next Black History Month and Black Shirt Day. Our claim to fame is Black Shirt Day. Black Shirt Day is like Orange Shirt Day, Pink Shirt Day. We want to make sure that within a study of anti-racism that we have slogans on shirts that kids can feel proud of and wear. The kids themselves come up with the slogans. They come up with the artwork. It is a community-based thing. It's a grassroots-based thing. So what happened this year, very controversial, is that the Ministry of Education, through another organization, decided they're not going to participate in Black Shirt Day because of Mussolini's black shirts. However, we are Black Shirt Day. It's a one word like Orange Shirt Day. I mean, how arrogant can you be? How Eurocentric can you be that the only things that affects Europeans, it's important. Holocaust, yes, I acknowledge them. Yes, fight against them. But one cannot supersede the other. What's important to white people, a minority of white people, cannot supersede anything else. So we said we're going to go ahead with Black Shirt Day because the people, it's a grassroots movement. Black Shirt Day is here to stay. You have been listening to my interview with Steve September of the Anti-Racism Coalition, Vancouver. To learn more about the group's work, go to antiracismcoalition.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.